It's good to be here. Thank you, Jessica, for the invitation. And uh, I, I missed your uh, installation. And uh, many of you understand we've had a very difficult thing happen in my family. My wife had an accident and broke her neck, and that's why I wasn't here. But you all been praying for us, so we've been doing better. So thank you, and I welcome those prayers to continue. But uh, I didn't get to say how delighted I was personally to see Jessica Legrone uh, come to pastor this community. Uh, I first met Jessica right here in this chapel uh, when she was a student, and I had just started in this role. So um, God bless you. It's going to be fun. So our text today, I've kind of learned that text through the New International Version. I'll, I'll begin with it from there. My purpose, Paul says, is that they be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what you're here for is, is, is that, that text. We can bring it down to something that clear. Before I get into it, I want to, to tell you a story about a a philosopher that while I was at Asbury, somehow I came into contact with a French philosopher, postmodern deconstructionist by the name of Jacques Derrida. Now, I rate philosophers with a number system, and it's according to how many minutes it takes me to read one page of their work. <laughs> and Jacques Derrida tops in with the all-time high, 45 minutes, the gift of death. I don't recommend it. But um, this guy, brilliant, apparently, and um, <laughs> I had not a clue what he said, but I stuck with it and finished the book. I was watching a... He, he died not too long ago, a few years back, and, and I was watching a documentary on television about his life, and they were having an interview with him, kind of a walking interview, and they, they walked into this huge, I mean, it must have been like this size room almost, maybe half, library. And it was books, floor to ceiling. This was his personal library. And I, I've never seen a personal library like that before. And the interviewer asked the obligatory question, so have you read all these books? And he makes a reply, I've never heard of that, to that question. He says, no, but I've read two of them really, really well. <laughs> That's what I want to say to you today. I, 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 I want to say there are two things that we must all learn very, very well, if we're going to minister in the tradition of the apostles. 
And it's not maybe the two things that you're thinking about. You, you, we've all heard the adage that if you want to be successful as a preacher or pastor or minister, you got to be able to do two things well. Like there's three things you got to do. You got to be able to do two of them well. You know what I'm talking about. You have to be able to do two of these three things. You have to be able to preach well. You have to be able to do pastoral care well. You have to go visit people. Or, and you have to be a good administrator. That if you can't do two out of those three, you won't be successful. That's conventional wisdom, which I think is wrong. I think conventional wisdom most often is biblical wisdom that has been neutered, if I can say that in here. <laughs> it's hollow. It's empty. Paul is telling us biblically the two things that we must do well if we're going to minister in the tradition of the apostles. He says, my purpose, this is, this is, He's very clear. He's writing to the church at, at uh, he's writing to the Colossian church. And he says, here's my purpose. Is that they be, number one, encouraged in heart. And number two, united in love. That is a picture of the church. A group of people who are following Jesus who are encouraged in heart and who are united in love because that is the kingdom of God. That's where it exists. Anywhere you have two or three people following Jesus, meeting together in some way in His name who are being encouraged in heart and being united in love. It, um, I've been reading and working my way through the Acts of the Apostles and, I, and I've been writing on it. I write every day on uh, our Seabed Daily Text, and I just continue with the text. Um, and I'm at chapter 23 now, and we're really talking a lot about Paul. And it's just occurred to me to begin thinking about, so you get Luke telling us the story of Paul in Acts, but in all these letters you get Paul giving you sort of the inside look at what's going on with him. It's almost like hitting a reveal codes and you get to see behind the text to the person that they're talking about from another angle. And it's given me a lot of insight on Paul. And in fact, this is what Paul is doing all over the place. So it's fascinating to hear him bring it into such a clear purpose, encouraged in heart, united in love. If I can do those two things, if those two things can happen the kingdom will spring up and I will leave a church in my wake. And I can write them a letter every now and then, but they've got it. They're good to go from there. So if you, if you, that's what Paul was doing. How did he do it? You know, I, I, I've, my, my vision of encouragement has changed over the years. I remember when I was in college, and I came across this little saying. I'll repeat it for you. I memorized it. It encouraged me at the time. 
It's Theodore Roosevelt when he said, it's not the critic that counts. You know this one? It's not the, the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. Credit belongs to the, the man, to the woman, who is actually in the arena, whose dust is, whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives valiantly, and who comes up short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who in the end knows at the best the triumphs of high achievement, but who at the worst, if she fails, she at least does so while daring greatly, so that her place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. That encouraged me for a while. And I think my idea of encouragement was just sort of nice, warm, inspiring quotes. Bartlett, you know. But I don't think that's what Paul was up to. I don't think he's going around to the first Christians and citing Cicero or Socrates. He's not giving inspiring quotes. What Paul is doing, and that's what's so amazing about this text, is that Paul, in fact, he's just participating in it. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The one who comes alongside and encourages. The one who builds up who unites people. You remember Jesus' prayer in John 17 where he says, my prayer, Abba, is that they will all be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? So the world will believe that you've sent me. That's the church. That's the kingdom of God. That's the witness. Encouraged in heart, united in love, what Paul is doing is he is moving about all over the countryside and he, he is become a master of the two resources that the Lord Jesus has given us, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. You'll hear it in the communion liturgy this morning. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is constantly doing. And we participate in that work of encouragement, of uniting with the resources of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So Paul is, if you read Acts, you see over and over again, it says, and Paul encouraged the Christians the disciples, or Paul strengthened the churches. Then there's Barnabas, who was actually called a son of encouragement. These folks aren't going around with great refrigerator magnets. They are imparting the Word of God to these people in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why, if you look at, at his letters, his letter writing was a ministry of encouragement. And he says things in his letters like, he's talking about Jesus. He's like, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. 
In him all things hold together. The firstborn from among the dead. Paul is to the Philippians. He's saying, have the same mind in you. He's like, you remember the beginning of Philippians, uh, the second chapter where he says, listen, if there's any encouragement, if you guys have anything going on there, please, you've got to get along. You've got to become united in love. Because if you're not, the Spirit will work somewhere else. Because the Spirit is working in the church. And the church is the place where persons are being encouraged in heart and united in love. Because that's where the kingdom is breaking out. That's where miracles happen. That's where signs and wonders emerge, is in the midst of that. Paul's not going around holding clinics on, you know, how to be a better preacher. That's not what he's doing. He is, in, he is ministering the Word of God in the power of the Spirit. He, um, I, I love it in Acts. You see it in several places. It's another thing, another way to encourage the churches. You know, Paul is getting the literal hell beat out of him constantly. Everywhere he goes, they're, they're tearing him apart. And yet when he gets to a place and he meets with the brothers and sisters he doesn't start off by telling his woes. It says, and he reported to them all that the Lord had been doing in their midst, in his midst, through his ministry. He's giving testimony. We were, we were in our cabinet meeting uh, this morning early, and it's our practice in that group uh, with Dr. Tennant and the rest of the vice presidents to invite a person from the faculty or from the staff to come in and offer a devotional message to encourage us, to challenge us. And so this morning, it would happen to be Dan Mostad, who is the person who's in charge of the Asbury Inn, among other things, does a great job of the seminary. And he, he began, he read the text about asking and seeking and knocking Whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. Whoever knocks, a door will be opened. And he said, you know, I just sense the Lord wanted me today to, to encourage you with some testimony. And he started telling us stories about his own family about how God had brought divine, supernatural healing to their children. To, I mean, it was astonishing. And all around the table, you could just, we were all kind of leaning forward. We were being encouraged in heart by hearing all that the Lord had done. And then when he was done with that, he, he offered us a chance to share our concerns. And it got fairly vulnerable. Because once a person, a group of people get encouraged in heart, they start leaning forward and they become united in love. And that's just like a lightning rod for the Holy Spirit. I mean, supernatural stuff happened all morning in that cabinet. I'm not sure what it all was yet, but it happened. And it'll take years to unfold. But you get my point. It's in reporting. It's in sharing. In a place like this, you've got to continue to share testimony with one another. You've got to... to we constantly need the gospel preached to one another. 
We need to hear it. We need to hear the stories of it. We need the Word of God to be ministered to us by one another. Uh, Paul, you know, when he is... Um, well, I mean, people argue about it. I've just kind of gone with the fact that he wrote Hebrews. But um, <laughs> it's never going to be resolved. So he gets right to chapter 10. And it's like, here's a military general. And he's got a group of soldiers who are just done. I mean, they can't go any further. They're discouraged. That's why I say the number one need of a person in ministry is encouragement. Because every weapon in the world will come against that calling. And we constantly have to. That's why Paul says, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. That's why he's constantly saying, love one another deeply from the heart. But so Philippians, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, he's, um, he's saying, guys, and I use guys as an inclusive term, guys, you can't turn back now. And, and rather than launching into sort of a moralizing, shame-based, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstrap speech, you know what he does? He goes into chapter 11. What is faith? He says faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that you can't see with your eyes. And then he just goes into a storytelling mode. See, if you want to encourage people in heart and unite them in love, you tell them their own story. You talk about Abraham and, and Sarah who... You know, basically what Paul says about them in Hebrews 11 is that they were as good as dead. And he says that's who God chose to found the entire movement on. Good as dead. And the descendants will number, will number more than the stars in the sky. He goes to Moses. He starts telling the story of Moses. He... Um, I love it how he just gets on a roll. He starts talking about the patriarchs, and he's like, listen, these people, they never saw what they were hoping for. They never received it. But guess what? They did see it, and they welcomed it from a distance. They saw it, and they welcomed it from a distance. My favorite line in, in, that, in Hebrews chapter 11, they lived in tents as strangers in the land that God had promised them. These people, they left everything just like you. They were way out on a limb just like you. And they were either full of faith or they were insane just like you. <laughs> it's true. I mean, you're out there, okay? No turning back. But Paul is telling them their stories. Then he gets down to the end of the list. He's, he just sort of goes into an honorable mention. I don't even have time to talk to you. He said about Gideon, who manages by the power of God to take out an army of 30,000 with 300. I don't have time to talk to you about David and the 12-foot giant that he brought down with a rock. Do you know what Paul is saying over and over and over again? He's saying the, the message that we see repeatedly throughout Scripture that encourages the church. Nothing is impossible with God. 
Nothing. I, I wrote in my little uh, daily text the other day, I wrote, you know, if I was going to get a tattoo, and I'm getting some pressure now, I think that's what I would get. I would just get it written down my arm. Nothing is impossible with God because that would give me a thousand chances to talk about God and who God is and what God's like and what possibility means and to tell them stories and to encourage them in heart. I've got to, to start wrapping up here. Why? encouraged in heart and united in love. It's the rest of the text. He says, in order that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, so that they will have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is an agenda for theological education. And I think that's what makes this seminary so unique in the, in the world of seminaries, is that what you've got right here historically to the present day. And what you must, this is your ministry as you're here, at least one of them. You've got a community that's encouraged in heart and united in love. And that is a place where understanding is given. Because see, you can learn. You can learn knowledge till the cows come home. But understanding is a gift. Do you know what I'm talking about? When, do you remember when after reading Scripture for a long period of time or maybe a short period of time, it just, you just started understanding it? It's like the Holy Spirit began interpreting this to you or some teacher began teaching in such a way that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden you knew what it meant in a way that was beyond just knowledge. That's what I think wisdom is. Wisdom is is knowledge translated by the Holy Spirit into a person's life. And a, a page, a page of understanding is worth more than a thousand books of knowledge. This isn't to pit them against each other. No, they actually can go very well hand in hand but it's all about the posture of the one who is doing the learning. You know, it's, it's nuts. I think we should change our nomenclature. We talk about, we give master's degrees to, to, to get a master's of divinity. I mean, that's kind of absurd, isn't it? You're gonna master divinity. We really should say it's more, we're coming here to be mastered by. We're here to be mastered by uh, divinity whether it's a counseling degree or a degree in formation or biblical studies, we're here to be mastered by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God such that we are equipped and empowered to move in that apostolic tradition that we're called to. The... Um, 
makes me think about this whole seminary. And one of the most underplayed realities of our seminary, and I think it needs, it needs to be amped up. Dr. Tennant's been working on it. Is the name of it. Francis Asbury. I, I came to seminary here back in the 90s. I never heard a word about Francis Asbury. I only started learning about him recently. But do you realize we wouldn't be here we wouldn't be here. We may not be Christians. We may not know Jesus if it weren't for Francis Asbury. Here's a guy who comes here, and he's 26 years old. Anybody here 26? I mean, think about it. 26 years old. He is sent by John Wesley as an apostle to America. He gets here, and he finds about 300 people who kind of have some association or affiliation with the Methodist people, maybe five or six preachers, and he goes to work. He's the only person, he's the only one from Britain who sticks around when the revolution cranks up. He's like, I can't leave. He was a hated man. He was hiding for his, he was an apostle Paul. There's no other way to, to see it, I don't think. But 46 years later, there are 250,000 people in that movement of the Holy Spirit. And there's hundreds and hundreds of preachers. He's probably more well-recognized than George Washington across the country. I mean, there's so much we could say about it. I'm going to leave you to dig into it. It is a story of what he did was he went about encouraging them in heart. He was putting courage into them. He was uniting them in love. And here we are today. So, um, think on these things. My purpose, says Paul, is that they may be encouraged in heart. It's my prayer for you. And united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You hear all that about riches and treasures. You're going to go away here from this place, dirt poor, but you're going to be filthy rich. Okay, amen. <laughs>